Amen. Would you please remain standing for our sermon scripture reading? Our sermon scripture reading this morning is found from Genesis 2, verses 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let me open us with a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you'll speak to us the word that we need to hear. And the word we need to hear most is the word of your son, Jesus, coming to us again and again and again with words of life, with words of peace, with words of forgiveness and acceptance. We pray in his holy name, amen. Do you hear that feedback? Okay. Um, I'm going to start with something a little bit different. We're Baptists. We typically don't have a whole lot of church participation. I'm going to ask for your participation to get this started. I'm going to ask a question. If you know the answer, feel free to shout it out. Not too excitedly, right? This is a Baptist church. Just keep it, keep it together. But why did God, or what is one reason that God sent Israel into exile? If you remember, use the nation of the Babylonians or the Chaldeans, sent them into exile. Why did that happen? Someone talk to me. Idolatry? Yeah? Mm-hmm. Why else? They were afraid of the people in the land? Yep. Like they wanted to like be like the people around them and is that what you mean? Yep, so that's, so that's when they were entering the land. This is when God sent them into exile. Yep, there are no wrong answers though. So that answer is right. I can, I, can, I can spin that right. Any other thoughts of idolatry? Disobedience, yeah. Any other reasons? Yeah. God is just, and he's true to what he says, even when it's a promise of a curse, not a promise of blessing. Any other reasons? There's a lot of reasons the Bible gives why Israel went into exile, idolatry, disobedience, um, economic injustice, the rich oppressing the poor. That was a big one we see in the Minor Prophets. Uh, Immorality, uh, nominal worship. Uh, The people are worshiping with their lips and not their hearts. But the author of First and Second Chronicles gives an interesting reason that we probably don't often think about. Um, and he includes at the very end of Second Chronicles, uh, in chapter 36, he mentions how the, the Babylonians, or he, he calls them the Chaldeans, they come and they take Israel, the, the southern kingdom, into exile. And then gives a reason for why, at least one significant reason for why Israel was forced to go into exile. So this is Second Chronicles 36, read verses 17 and then verses 20 and 21. Therefore God brought up against Israel the king of the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, who killed their young men with a sword in the house of their sanctuary, had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand. And he took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia. And listen to this to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land 
had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. What the author of First and Second Chronicles is saying is that one of the reasons Israel was sent into exile was so that the land could enjoy the Sabbath that Israel had never given it. They went into exile because they failed to keep Sabbath. Interesting, we wouldn't typically think of that as being something significant or a reason why Israel would go into exile. When you add to that we, the, the fact that this, the story we've been looking at in this series of, of Israel's renewal at Mount Sinai when they worship the golden calf, that story is bookended by commandments about the Sabbath. So Exodus 31 ends with commandments about the Sabbath, then Exodus 32 begins with the story of the golden calf. You have the whole story of Israel falling into sin, being renewed, ends in chapter 34. Then chapter 35, again, you pick up with Sabbath commandments. I don't think that's a coincidence. And then lastly, keep in mind again, of course, that the Sabbath was a, one of the Ten Commandments. It was the fourth commandment. And I think what we see from all of this is that there was something about the Sabbath, something about what it was supposed to do in the lives of the people of Israel that was important and, in fact, essential for Israel to walk closely with their God. And so we're going to take some time today looking at this fourth commandment. What did it mean? And uh, what has to do with spiritual renewal? Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time hashing out whether Christians are supposed to obey the fourth commandment in the same way as the Old Testament Israel was. I'm not a Sabbatarian. A Sabbatarian would be someone who believes that Christians still are required to keep Sabbath in the same way. I'm not that. I'll explain why. But what I want to actually focus on are some spiritual principles that underlie the fourth commandment that I do think very much apply to us today um, and tell us a whole lot about what spiritual renewal requires. So I'm going to actually be looking at two different spiritual principles that are given as reasons in the fourth commandment for why God wanted Israel to keep Sabbath. They're going to be my first two points, and then my third point will kind of be bringing them together. But the first point will be we rest, we Sabbath rest, in order to live. That's the first spiritual principle that undergirds the Sabbath command. Second, we rest in order to remember. And then the third point, bringing these together with spiritual renewal, is making space for renewal. So we rest in order to live, we rest in order to remember, and then making space for renewal. Now before I jump in, I want to explain something that's a little confusing. But the Ten Commandments are given twice in the Old Testament, in, in their entirety. They're listed twice. Uh, they're listed once in Exodus 20 and then once in Deuteronomy 5. And it's basically the same both times, but there's one noticeable difference. And that's in the fourth commandment on the Sabbath. And the difference is that they're given different reasons for why Israel should keep the Sabbath. And they're not in any way contradictory, but they're complementary. They complement one another. They give two different reasons for why God wanted Israel to practice this idea of Sabbath. And so that's going to be the first two principles. It's going to be looking at the, the two different reasons given in Exodus 20 and then Deuteronomy 5. So first point, we rest in order to live. If you have a Bible open to Exodus 20, that's where the first uh, instance of the Ten Commandments are found. We're going to look at verses 8 to 11. Again, that's Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. It'll be helpful to have your Bible open and follow along. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, 
you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who's in your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So a quick explanation of what the commandment was. It was, you know, humans are going to work six days. On the seventh, they're supposed to stop. The word Sabbath literally comes from a Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to stop or to cease. So literally, you work six days, and the seventh day, you cease working. And this is a day that's special to the Lord, set apart for the Lord. And what's interesting, it's not just like, you know, adults who are supposed to stop working or landowners, it's, it's everybody. The economy was supposed to grind to a halt. Not just the Israelites, but their servants were supposed to stop working. Foreigners were supposed to stop working. Even animals were supposed to stop working. That's the commandment. Now, I do have to explain really quickly, does this apply to Christians today? And I don't want to like, you know, I think Christians often, oftentimes will kind of say, of course it doesn't, kind of hand-waving away. That'd be ridiculous. But I want to point something out, that this is the only commandment in which Christians make an argument that it might not apply to us anymore. No one says, well, I know the, you know, it says do not steal, but that doesn't apply to us. Like all the other Ten Commandments, coveting, adultery, murder, lying, idolatry, we still view these as an effect. It's just the Fourth Commandment that we're like, oh, I don't know. So, so we've got to take it seriously no matter how we understand this. And again, I don't think it applies to Christians in the same way. I'm going to explain why, and I'm hopefully going to do this quickly and efficiently because I don't want to spend too much time on this. But what we see in the Bible is that when God comes into relationship with people, it's not just an informal friendship, it's, it's what's called a covenant. A covenant was a formal relationship. So think of it like a marriage. When you marry someone, it's not just an informal, like, hey, we get coffee once a week. It's a formal relationship with built-in expectations. Expectations of fidelity, expectations of longevity, this is till death, expectations of oneness. So when God enters into relationship with people, he enters it through covenants, relationships that were formal uh, relationships that had expectations. So you see this with Abraham, you see with Noah, and the big one in the Old Testament for this, for our purposes, is the Mosaic covenant, or the covenant he makes at Mount Sinai. And that relationship, that covenant relationship with God had, had delivered Israel from slavery, he had heard their cries, he had rescued and redeemed them, and therefore they were his people. And because they were his people, they were to obey God. And if they obeyed God, God would bless them and care for them, provide for them. That was the covenanted relationship God entered into with Israel. And here's the thing, there were, God instituted signs of those covenants. Uh, my wedding ring is a sign of my covenanted relationship with my wife. He did stuff like that, physical reminders of this covenant. The most common one was circumcision, which was, <laughs> sorry, it's visible to the person who circumcised, not to anyone else. I've used the Sabbath as one of those signs. Uh, it was an old covenant sign. Think of it, uh, you know, the weekend is a Judeo-Christian thing. Like the pagan nations, they probably took rest sometime, but it wasn't one day every week. And so if you're, you know, uh, on a commercial caravan going through the land um, and, uh, and, and you're entering on the Sabbath and all of a sudden you enter a land where literally nobody is working, the animals aren't working, I mean, it's, a, it's a visible sign, hey, these people are different. These people belong to Yahweh. 
So as the Old Covenant sign, though, when the Old Covenant failed, because Israel could not keep it, it means it's no longer binding on us. We're under a new covenant that was instituted by Jesus Christ, who was the perfect Lamb of God, who died to bear the sins of the world. And our new covenant signs, by the way, are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Those are our new covenant physical signs we give that show that we belong to Christ. So that's why I don't think it is binding for us in the same way, because we're no longer under the old covenant. It was an old covenant sign, but still it was a commandment, which which is interesting. And circumcision wasn't one of the Ten Commandments. That's why it doesn't really matter if you're circumcised or not from a Christian perspective. But the fourth commandment was a commandment. And so I think there were spiritual realities in this that again still apply. So that's just, that's my aside for how this applied to Christians. Let's move into what is this spiritual principle that we see in this first point, which is that we rest in order to live. And we see this in the reason that's given in Exodus 20. So we read the, the commandment. Go ahead in, in Exodus 20, verse 11, which gives the reason for the Sabbath commandment. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In other words, Israel rests because God rested. That passage from Genesis 2 I read, that's what they're referring to. When God created the world, he created in six days, he saw it was good, and then God himself rested. And when you read Genesis 2, that should arrest us very quickly. Because God does not need to rest. The picture that Moses or whoever wrote Genesis is trying to tell us is, it's not like, well, God is like, after six days, he's like, man, I, I need to, whew, I'm winded, I need to take a break, I need to sit down and rest. No, God does not need to rest. He did it to communicate to us, to give us a model. And Exodus 20 is showing us what that is, which is that we too need to rest. We rest so that we might live. Now, there's two theological, or there's two truths I want to draw out of this spiritual principle, and that's, they're this. First, we see from this that God's design for human life involved work and rest. It involved both. In the, in the commandments, six days you shall labor. It's not a commandment. It's not given in as an imperative. It's just kind of a statement. Like, this is how life works. We work, right? If you don't want to starve, you're going to work. Uh, when we're in situations where our job is particularly frustrating to us, we might be tempted to think that work is evidence of the fall, but it's actually not. Adam and Eve worked in the garden before the fall. God gave the creation mandate to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, which does not just refer to having babies. It refers to, 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 to creating culture and discovering science, and basically drawing out all the potential that was in the world at that time. Go out and cultivate this world. Work. We're created to work. Now, the frustration and futility we experience in our work, that is a result of the fall. But God created us to work. But he also created us to rest. That's the, that's the thing. It's assumed we're going to work. Again, unless you're like independently wealthy, you're going to work. That's assumed. But what's not always assumed is that we're also supposed to rest. Rest is not a consolation prize for the week. Man, if you could just work all the time, that would be the way to do it. Here's, here's something to think about. Again, God gives this pattern of rest in Genesis 2. This is pre-fall. 
What that means is that we can assume Adam and Eve rested in the garden. Before they had sinned, before they felt the effects of that in, the bo- in their bodies, which meant they started to die, right? All of us from the moment we were born were dying. That's not how Adam and Eve were, but they still rested. It was part of how God designed us to operate. Yes, we work, but we also rest. And I think we see the truth of this in our own lives, right? Like when, when we don't have anything productive to do, it's not good for us. It's not good for me. <laughs> you know, when I have weeks and weeks on end with nothing to do, I just, I, I devolve into a puddle of sad Mike. It's not good. We fall into temptation. We, 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 we lose purpose and meaning. So being fired from your job can be so jarring because you lose how you structure. We're, we're meant to work. Looks different at different times of our life, but we're meant to work. At the same time, if all we're doing is working, if we're burning the midnight oil, if we're burning the candle at both ends, if we're not getting adequate rest, it comes out in all kinds of ways and how we treat our families and again, we get depressed, our life begins to implode. We need rest, we need work, and we need rest. This is God's design for our life. It's his creation design. That's the first truth we see from the spiritual principle that we rest in order to live. But the second truth we see is that our, our need for rest is, is just a reminder for us that we're not God. Again, it's assumed you're gonna work. All of us will work, whether that work is paid work or unpaid work, right? Being a stay-at-home mom is work. <laughs> and if you don't think so, you've never been a stay-at-home mom. Um, all of us are gonna work. But our need for rest reminds us that we're not God, we're not the creator. We have limited reservoirs of energy and strength and we need rest. Now, when Mark and I were, were dating, or um, I can't remember if we were dating or engaged, we were in DC, I used to live in DC, and we were walking along the street and she ran into a high school classmate. It, it was the type of situation where you're, 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 you're walking on the street and like this guy comes out of the restaurant and Mark was like, hey, what are you, and he's like, hey, and I mean, it was just totally random. Don't remember his name. But he was, at the time, working at J.P. Morgan in New York City, which is a large investment bank, and he'd been there for a year and a half, and, uh, and this was the first vacation day he'd taken. I'm sorry, this was the first day off he'd taken in a year, off, in a year and a half. Again, let me, not the first vacation day, the first day he had not worked in a year and a half. He worked Monday to Sunday, 80 to 100 hours a week. And he was described, and that's just, you know, that's the investment banking culture. Some people are into that. Uh, and he was thinking, like, the work culture that goes into that. And he said, I mean, most of his coworkers were doing drugs to stay awake. Like, they're sniffing co- cocaine in the office because your body can't function. And he said he, he, he didn't do drugs. Uh, he said he just ate bags of apples. And that somehow got him through the day. He, and he was 24 at that time, I think, around there. And so he, he could probably do that. And, 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 and feel like he could, like it wasn't destroying him. But eventually it'll catch up to him. Eventually he'll, he'll realize the cost that has on him. Working has a biological cost on us. And what's coming, coming more clear from scientific research is that overworking has a pretty significant biological cost in terms of the chronic stress it puts on us, hypertension, heart issues, et cetera, et cetera. So the World Health Organization, which is the leading... World Health Organization. Uh, they did a study last year where they were trying to measure, they're trying to quantify the cost of overwork, specifically in, in, pre, in, in, in how many people are dying from overwork. And so you're like, literally, like, oh, I died from doing too much paperwork, but, but the results of, of, of the cost on your body, how many people a year is that killing? And, and the first thing you notice is how they defined overwork. 
They didn't say people who are working 80 hours a week. That, that's what we would think. Or 70 hours. Or 60. It was anyone who worked 55 or more hours a week, they considered to be at risk of overwork and all the consequences that come with it. Now, that's crazy. If you're in college, it may not make sense to you. But if you work six to, sorry, eight to six, Monday to Friday, and then you go in once on the weekend, you're at 55 hours. That's really easy to do. And what they were finding is that people who worked over 55 hours a week, um, three quarters of a million people were dying a year from overwork, from working 55 hours a week or more. That means that overwork's killing more people than malaria in the, around the globe. Now, there's, again, there's, there's, and again, the, we are not God. We need rest. And when we ignore that, when we ignore our creatureliness, it literally kills us. Uh, now, there's a balance here, right? Like, the goal for us isn't to live as long as possible. Um, I would rather die younger if it means I'm being faithful to my Lord. Um, and, uh, and I want my kids to grow up and know how to work hard and, and work for excellence. So there's a balance here. Um, but it's good for us just to recognize that, hey, we're creatures. And when we rest, we, we admit, like, I have limits. And that doesn't mean I'm somehow less than. Like, this is God's good design. He designed us to work and to rest. Um, this is the first, this is the first uh, principle of the, Sabbath, of the Sabbath commandment. It's the one we see in Genesis 2. We, we rest in order to live. Now, the way this is, I'm, my whole third point is going to be mostly application, but I want to give a little bit of application here. And that's this. Um, if God thought that, you know, humans needed one day a week to rest, like if that's, how he, if that's what he built into his creation design, question is, are, are you resting one day a week? Now, this is going to look like very different for, for diff, you know, depending if you're a student or if you're like an adult working full-time or if you have a family or if you're retired. That, it's going to look very different. But are you getting to rest at least one day a week? If, if you're in a particularly busy season, um, this is going to look different. But this is what God wants. We're regularly resting. If you're not in a busy season, if you're retired or if you just don't have as much work to do, what we're going to find out is that resting is much more than just sitting on the couch and watching TV. There's actually work that goes into resting well. And so there's something in here for all of us. But all I'm going to say is that for some of us who are, who are in a busy season, the most spiritual thing we might do this afternoon is take a nap to the glory of God. Because he, he created us to rest. And that's a good thing. So at first point, we rest in order to live. Second point, we rest in order to remember. Okay, God has given us his fourth commandment. We need to work and rest. But he didn't just give it to us that we might stop and, 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 and kind of catch our breath, but there was a spiritual component to this. And this is what we see in Deuteronomy 5. Uh, this is the second instance of, of, of the Ten Commandments. And again, it, it finishes with a different reason. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 to 15. Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 to 15. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant or your female servant, or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock with a sojourner who's within your gates. 
that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And there's a different reason here. Look. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Again, the command is basically the same. There's a couple minor differences, but it has a different reason. It's no longer because God rested and gave this to us as a creation pattern. It's that, no, 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 we stop. We stop from our work. We rest so that we might remember the God who saved us from slavery in Egypt, how he rescued us with his own hand. We stop and rest that we might remember God and his mercies and his work in our lives. And this brings us again to a really important distinction, which is that Sabbath rest is not the same thing as leisure. Leisure, free time, you think of a, 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 basically the time we have when we don't have to work, kind of a technical definition, the time when you are free from work or other duties and you can relax and do the things you enjoy. That's not the same thing as a Sabbath rest. This is why, you know, even if you're retired and you, and you don't have, you're not working 50 hours a week, to rest is not the same thing as just watching a movie. Like, I'm watching the new uh, Star Wars show Andor, which is m- maybe better than Mandalorian. I don't know. If it's, if it's not, it's the best Star Wars show since Mandalorian. It's just phenomenal. I know Mickey's like, that. it's phenomenal. It's so good. I enjoy it. And there are things about storytelling that, right, can, can point, you know, good stories can point us to the greatest story, et cetera, et cetera. But when I watch Andor, I'm not, I'm not resting in this way. So the difference between leisure and rest. Sabbath rest is more than just having free time in our schedule. It's stopping to remember. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. It's stopping that we might remember the Lord. It's interesting in the Old Testament that the themes of forgetting and remembering are used as metaphors for faithfulness and unfaithfulness. It would say that Israel would, would forget the Lord. And that's when they would turn to idols and turn to the other nations and fall into sin. So we'd say, don't forget the Lord. Remember the Lord. And of course, that's not just talking about information recall. but saying, think on God. Meditate on him. Uh, ruminate on his work in your life. Reflect. Have testimonial services like what we're having on December 17th. Reflect on what God has done for you. Remember the Lord. John Calvin describes a Sabbath rest as a time when believers lay aside their own works to allow God to work in them. We stop from our work so we might remember God and allow him to work in our hearts and change us. We rest in order to remember. That's the second spiritual principle of Sabbath rest. Now, one reason we worship together every week, it's not just that it's habit, but we come together that we might remember together <clears throat> God's mercies. It's not a coincidence that Christians very quickly began meeting regularly. Uh, it was actually more than once a week, you know, and we see in Acts, what, three, two, three, they're meeting every day. But very quickly, Christians basically took the Sabbath day and made it the Lord's day and took this regular weekly time where we would meet together and they would remember God together. They'd be formed into the image of Christ together. The point of our services is not to come and learn something new. Sometimes we have a very didactic approach, like I need to learn something new. But here's the truth of the matter, when you've been a Christian long enough, there won't be that much that you've just never heard before. 
It won't be like, oh, I've never read this part of the Bible before. It's very much more, oh, the gospel is becoming new all over again. God's grace is striking me afresh. Again, we're not interested in in new information, but we want transformation. We come together and we remember. We, We dwell together on the things of God, the mercy of God. And we build that into the very structure of our service. Um, The way we do our service is very intentional. It's not haphazard. It's not just Mike's strange ideas. We, we We come together that we might remember. So we begin with praise. That's intentional. Because the most fundamental truth is that God is good and his steadfast love endures forever. It doesn't matter if it's raining outside. It doesn't matter what's happened in your week, in my week. God's good. And we can come together and we can sing his praises. And then we move into confession of sin because we are sinners saved by grace. And while God has made us new creations, we keep walking in the old ways and we must repent. We're we're, we're sinner saints. And so we acknowledge we're still sinners who need grace. We, We confess that together every week. And then we move right into the assurance of pardon, which is taken from scripture. So it's, it's not a priest saying you are, are, are part, it's God's word telling us, it doesn't matter what we bring, what's on our hearts, God forgives us because of the blood of his son. And then we move right from there into fellowship. Again, that's not because that's what flows best with our service. It's theological. It's because what brings us together it's not just the fact that we've known each other for decades or, or that, that we have similar hobbies or that you know, we have similar ethnic, socioeconomic makeup. It's, it's because we all share Christ. It's because every single one of us was lost and then Christ found us. We were guilty and, 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 and without hope, but we all shared Jesus. And that's why we fellowship around him. And of course, we have the preaching of the word because we want to hear Jesus, who is the word, speak again and again and again. Because we love him. We want him to come to us afresh. The whole service is built, again, not so that we might learn something new, although I hope we learn something new. I learn something new every time I preach. But we construct our service so that we might remember the Lord. So here's the thing. If you gather with us every Sunday, if this is like a, a regular commitment for you, you already have a Sabbath rest built into your regular week. You already have one morning a week where you stop your work and you come together with other Christians to remember the Lord and remember what he has done. Again, to stop our work to allow God to work in us. And so when we come Sunday mornings, let's, let's fight against kind of going through the motions. Let's allow the elements of the service to remind us of God and his goodness and his grace and his kindness and our ongoing need for him. That's my second point. We rest, in order, we rest in order to remember. These are the two principles of the Sabbath, of the Sabbath commandment. We rest in order to live because God made us as creatures who need to work and need to rest. And we rest in order to remember so we can set aside time that is devoted to the Lord to reflect on his mercies and his kindness. This brings us to our third point, which is making room for renewal. And here's where I'm going to kind of tie it all together. We've talked about where renewal begins. It, it begins with repentance. When we see how we've wandered from the Lord, when we see how our, 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 our faith has become routine, or we see that we've turned to idols in our life, or we've fallen into sin, we see that we need renewal, and we repent. We turn from that, and we turn back to God. 
And the other side of, of, of the, the you know, be, beginning of renewals is, is we remember who God is. We remember his character. He's one who welcomes us back with open arms because the Lord, the Lord is merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love, and he will do what is right. But to remember the Lord in that way requires a certain stillness. It requires some time. You can't microwave that baby. And this is where we get the fourth commandment. And I think this is why Second Chronicles brings out failure to keep Sabbath as a reason why Israel went into exile. We, in order to even be in a place where we can ask ourselves how we're doing, and where's my heart, how am I walking with the Lord, we have to have time where we slow down long enough to, to think. We need Sabbath rhythms even to recognize when we need renewal. And so it's no surprise that Israel failing to keep Sabbath led to Israel turning to idols and to sin and to wandering from the Lord. The Sabbath is where we make space for renewal. So we build into our lives space to stop our work and remember the Lord. And, I, and again, I, want, I just want to come back to the fact that this is, you know, again, I, I don't think that Christians... I don't think the fourth commandment applies to us in the same way. I don't think that we should, you know, if we see each other at a coffee shop on Sunday afternoon doing work, like, oh, brother, sister, you shouldn't be doing that. But it's still a commandment. God still commands us to stop regularly and think on him, to remember him. What that looks like, does it happen on Sunday? How long? I think there's Christian freedom, but it's still a commandment. It's still something we need to do for the sake of our own souls. So I, I have some practical considerations on Sabbath rest that I want to finish with, and hopefully you'll find these helpful. But God has commanded us to rest. First practical consideration is that resting and remembering may require rethinking some of our priorities. It may require us rethinking some of our priorities. Ironically enough, the Sabbath rest was given to benefit us. And this is Jesus' point in Mark 5 where he says, the Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. And the Pharisees had created all these regulations, what you could do, couldn't do, and they'd made it a burden. And so Jesus is like, no, 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 God made the Sabbath rest to benefit hum humankind because we need rest. We need time to be with the Lord. And the reason I say that's ironic is because some of us are probably like stressed out thinking, great, my busy life, now I've got to figure out a time to rest. I've got to fit that somewhere into my 18 different obligations I have coming today. It's kind of like the dad who wants to spend time with his kids, but they don't really want to. And he's like, we're going to have fun today. Don't argue with me. It's like, I'm going to rest. And I'm going to be so tired after resting. If we feel like there's no way we can fit a Sabbath rest into our life because of our crazy to-do list. Now, I grant there are seasons where it's, it is hard. And again, God gives grace to us in those seasons. But it may also be an invitation for us to reexamine our priorities. Are there good things in our life that are taking up all our time that have become more ultimate things to the point where we are no longer able to obey this command to be with the Lord on a regular basis, to stop our work and remember him? If stopping and being with the Lord isn't a priority, it's just not gonna happen. So we may need to rethink some of our priorities if we want to practice a Sabbath rest. It has to be a priority for us. Second practical consideration is, is, is we need to plan to rest and remember. This does not happen on its own. 
It will never happen by default. You will never wake up one day and say, wow, I have an entire morning set aside, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop working and rest and be with the Lord. You have to actually put it on the calendar. You have to send yourself a Google invite. Uh, you got to actually uh, work in advance to make sure that you've done your grocery shopping, that you've done your laundry, that you've done your homework in advance so that you have some time. You have a couple hours to set aside to stop working. If we don't plan, again, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail, something you have to actually plan into your life. You've got to actually work. And again, this is why resting requires work because you actually have to be intentional about it. So my encouragement is, um, and, and again, you know, how long you spend in Sabbath rest, what day, when this happens, there's freedom in that. But I think it should be at least weekly we're spending more than 30 minutes stopping our work and remembering the Lord. Um, so my encouragement is take, you know, this afternoon, look at your calendar. When, what does it work for you to take a few hours some evening, a few hours some afternoon to stop working and remember the Lord? If you're married, this would be a great dinner or a great lunch conversation with your spouse. What is, when does this work for us? You've got to plan it if it's, if, if it's going to happen. If you don't plan, it won't happen. Third practical consideration is begin with something manageable. If you're not in the use of, of if you're not um, in the habit of doing a Sabbath rest, you know, be realistic in what you start with. I'm very idealistic. So when I first began thinking of Sabbath rest, I was like, I, you know, Mark was in residency. I have little kids at home, and I'm like, I'm going to take a full day every week, wake up with the sunrise and sing hymns, and then we'll have like two hours of contemplative meditation, and then me and my kids, you know, three and one at a time, we're going to read the Bible for an hour, and like, I'm very idealistic. You know, it's great ideas, maybe, maybe, maybe not going to work. Pick something you can sustain. Um, pick something you think you can do. And then here's the trick. Do it every week for 50 years. Pick something manageable. And then lastly, make it enjoyable. Again, Sabbath rests a gift. So make, you know, go buy yourself a pastry from Blue Dog Bakery. Brew yourself some good coffee. Light a nice candle. You don't need to like go into a damp basement and sit on your knees on a cold concrete floor. Like make it enjoyable. Make it something that you're going to want to do that will give you life. And I, and I just want to finish with giving you something that my family does. Again, this is a practical example for what, what a Sabbath rest could look like. That I think is very simple. And we do it during Advent. So something you guys can, can take with if you want. But uh, we celebrate uh, one, usually Sunday evening, we celebrate kind of an, an Advent celebration, me and my wife and my kids. And, um, and, and we'll do it Sunday night, except for the first Sunday, because we have prayer meeting and Super Sunday. So don't do it first Sunday, but every Sunday after that. And there's a few things that are key ingredients for this very short Sabbath we do. Just first, I make hot chocolate for everyone. Key ingredient. Everyone has to have hot chocolate. We also have an Advent wreath. Um, it has four candles that kind of go for the four different Advent weeks. Marco thinks it looks really chintzy, and it, and it probably does. But there's nothing like setting a mood like a candle. And so we'll, write the, we'll light the candle of the week. We'll read the scripture passage for that week. Um, I like you, the, the Anglican Church has some beautiful Advent liturgy. I'll use some of that. Very, I mean, again, my kids are two, four, and six, so not a whole lot, just a little bit. And then we'll sing some Christmas hymns, and then we're done. And I think one thing we're going to add this year, as I've been rethinking again on Sabbath, is I think I also want us to include a little bit of time of just remembering what God has done in our lives. 
both for Mark and I to remember the Lord, but also so our kids can see us authentically sharing, hey, this is what God's done. And they can begin the practice of seeing God at work and remembering the Lord. This is 15, 15, maybe 20 minutes, short, but it's meaningful. It's a time where we're stopping, we're pausing, we don't have our devices on, and we're just remembering the Lord together. Again, we don't need to set aside 24 hours to stop and remember. We don't need weeks of solitude to make space for renewal. We begin where we can. We begin where we're able, and we trust that God's grace will meet us there. Because here's, here's the thing. Jesus has promised to give us rest. He said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I, I will give you rest. And it's the spirit of Christ that brings renewal. But we gotta make space for that. We've gotta carve time out of our lives to stop, to rest, to pray, and to remember the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, I, I pray that you will give us wisdom, especially for, for those of us who feel like we don't have time for a Sabbath rest. Well, give us wisdom in what that looks like in our lives. I pray that we will be a church that is distinct from the world, just like Israel was, because we stop and we rest and we remember the God who has redeemed us. And I pray that as we go out and we try to do that, as we look at what that means, I pray that you will meet us in those times, that you'll be faithful to show us your face and remind us of your goodness. For we, we desperately need to be reminded we pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.